it's really tempting when you're sharing information in podcast form or in writing or whatever. It's really tempting to try to change your words and temper what you're saying so that no one can possibly take offense to it or can't possibly object to it. And and even like it used to be all about comments on the blogs. Like I would find myself like envisioning the comments ahead of time and answering the questions of these, you know, one percent of the audience who was going to object to something. But that completely dilutes your message and waters it down. So like, I don't know. I always I didn't want to be the person who said like this is the only way it is. But at the same time, like that's how you make your work interesting is by actually taking a stance on something and not not catering to every single person. And I think that that took a sort of certain courage to me. Like it was it was safe to say I'm going to address all the all the objections ahead of time. It was much scarier to, to not do that and say I'm just going to put this out there, and you know if people don't like it then they don't like it. And so that that's vulnerability for sure. And that's like that was the difference between between writing boring stuff and writing writing good stuff. I found was was being when I was able to make that little shift that said I'm okay with trying to now sort of be a leader in this space with my ideas instead of just always trying to just like you know write what is safe. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and each week since 2016, we've been sharing stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. People who are following callings from within to take a certain path, to make changes in their lives, and to stay the course even when it doesn't make sense on paper. Our guest today started following those callings back in college when he and his buddies decided to sign up for a marathon, a choice that began a shift in Matt Frazier's life that has since become the very well-known community and brand Nomi Athlete. Of course, there were many stops along the way, successes and failures, experiments and commitments, and the ebbs and flows of pursuing a life with purpose. Matt is the founder of No Meat Athlete, which holds a mission to provide world-class inspirational and educational experiences to support the growth and well-being of the plant-based athletic community. Matt is a runner, dad, husband, co-founder of Complement Nutrition Company, and best-selling author of No Meat Athlete, Run on Plants and Discover Your Fittest, Fastest, Happiest Self, No Meat Athlete Cookbook, and most recently, The Plant-Based Athlete, co-written with Robert Cheek. Chances are, if you are awake to the plant-based lifestyle, then you've heard of this most recent book or listened to these guys talk about their game-changing creation, which is assisting athletes daily in feeling more confident about the switch to a fully plant-based lifestyle. Matt's been on our radar for a while now, and one of the first people we looked to when we turned vegan almost a decade ago. So we're so grateful for your time today, and welcome to the show, Matt. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, cool that you've been following for a long time. Yeah, I know, <laughs> huh? Awesome. Right? Like, it's when people crop up, like, I've been following you for the last decade. You're like, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is <laughs> the first time we're meeting. So interesting. <laughs> and we have some shared friends, um, Sid Garza Hillman, who we just adore, right? And there's nobody yep. fun to banter with than that guy. That's true. And, um, and Linda, our production and marketing assistant who put this, this, um, this interview together. So grateful right. for her. How did you and Linda meet? I think Linda came to a book tour event of mine uh, on my first book tour or my only book tour for my first book uh, in, I think it was in New York city that she was there. I'm not positive, but uh, I think so. And then somehow I think actually through Sid, uh, she started working with Sid and me on uh, a project we were doing called health made simple, like a meal plan program. And Linda nice. was helping us out with recipes. And she is a she's, gift. Yeah. So yeah. she helped us with our cookbook as well. Yeah. yeah she's amazing. Um, so the first book that you had when you did like the big book tour and stuff, was that the No Meat Athlete Run on Plants and Discover Your Fittest, Fastest, Happiest Self? Yes, that was. And uh, that was like three years into my blogging career. And so that book was like an encapsulation of everything I had kind of learned and written about up to that point. In fact, a large amount of that book was, I think something like 20%, whatever the publisher would allow, was basically blog posts that were just kind of, you know, stitched together, rewritten into a format. I don't feel like I cheated anybody by doing that. Um, but it was like, just, I don't know, it was just kind of a snapshot of the way that I was eating and thinking about food. And it's funny to me to look at it now. And uh, it's like, I would just never write that book now, but I'm really glad that I did that because it, it was definitely more approachable in terms of like the type of food that I was into cooking. Um, it wasn't like these like fancy, like, you know, green smoothies and like, you know, really intricate looking salads that are like all the rage on Instagram or whatever else everyone's doing now. Um, it was just like very kind of humble food that I had like veganized. So, uh, I don't know. I think it's actually really good for, for a beginning person. Like that's not that far from a, the way someone else eats. It's just like sort of slight variations of things. 
Um, whereas now, if I put out a cookbook, it would be just this food that would be like not recognizable to somebody who didn't eat this way, just because you know, just I've been at it for twelve years, so it just it just evolved. Yeah, you get better, right? Like at sure, first, yeah. even though we had great resources like No Meat Athlete and, and Scott Jurek and his book and Brendan Brazier and all of that, like you know, ten years ago, there there it wasn't what it is now. Right. And we weren't that good at it. Mm. Like when we first got our blood work done a year into it, like we weren't that good at it and we were kind (laughs) of deficient in some things. Um, did you find that too? Like as you were doing it, like, um, that maybe at the beginning, like you weren't that good at it or did you feel like you actually, like this was kind of an easy thing for you to, you know, to be able to incorporate into your lifestyle and you felt like you were getting what you needed. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I never had like a real sense that I was doing something wrong. Like, I felt great the whole time. It's more like in hindsight, looking back I can say like, why was I eating that vanilla protein powder for two years after I went vegetarian, still vegan? I think it was whey protein powder. I was still using that uh, just because I thought that I needed that. And like one, at one point I tasted it way after I had kind of stopped. And I just like, the taste was awful. Like it was just like tasted like chemical sweetener fake stuff. And I just couldn't believe that I had been for the, for the first year or whatever, been, been having that stuff so much, uh, and thought it tasted naturally. So like sort of in hindsight, as you, as your taste buds evolve and, and your thinking evolves, um, it's easy to look back and say like, wow, I, I, I certainly could have done better than I was. Um, and I do think that I probably had a B12 deficiency, uh, about three years in really, which is odd that I was writing books about how to do this. And I would write down the advice, you know, you need B12 and you probably need some vitamin D. Um, but I also, you know, would always hear from people like your body stores several years of it and you probably don't need it until a while, especially if you're still eating some dairy, which in the first year, I guess two years, I think I was still having dairy a little bit um, before I went vegan. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just had some symptoms that I, for me, like got me really worried that I was like sick, like something was wrong. And I didn't really realize that this fixed it at the time. But I, I do think that like just started to take multivitamin like that actually probably is what enabled that to go away. And, and again, in hindsight, I was like, wow, that probably was B12 deficiency. And, and here I was telling people how to do it. So it's, it's just a strange, you know, strange thing, but uh, yeah, it worked out. I, I love that you don't have to have all the answers, right? Because that's such a hindrance to us. Like we, we have to be perfect or right. we need to know every single meal we're going to have for the week in order to be plant-based. And that's how we start. And I think that is a testament. What you just showed is like, you don't have to have all the answers. You can just keep sharing your experience and bringing us along with you along the way to, to kind of uncover what is working and what isn't working for people. Yeah. And that's true of like, of being someone who, who is sharing about it and writing and publishing stuff. But it's also true of like, just if you're curious about trying a diet, like there aren't many diets in the world that are going to kill you if you go on them and it doesn't work out that well for your body. Uh, like I said, like, I guess uh, to, to be deficient in a nutrient to the point that your body's showing symptoms, that's a pretty serious thing, but it wasn't like it killed me. I just, I just started taking a B12 supplement and then I was better. And so like, in a much less extreme fashion, when someone gets on social media and says, Hey, like, I'm really curious about this vegan diet and I'm a runner. Um, but I'm really worried like that it's going to do this and this and this to my times. Like, what do you think about that? And it's just funny to me that someone would rather like have this analysis and this exchange and this big debate instead of just like, try it and see what happens. And if it doesn't work well, it's not like you're doing some irreversible damage. Like it might work out really well, like it did for me. And like it does for a lot of people. And if it doesn't, you can either refine that or you can just go, go back and just do it the other way. So I don't know. I, I just think when it comes to diet, like a lot, of, certainly we should be doing research, obviously, like that's important. And there's some things that, that are long-term things that we might think we're doing well. And it turns out it becomes a problem. Um, so like not, no one should do research, but like, as far as wondering how something's going to affect your short-term health or your short-term performance, like just, just try it. If it's not some life or death decision. Yeah. Like take a risk, be the experiment of one as we, as we say around yeah. this, around this house, like be, a, be an archeologist of self, right? Like <laughs> get to know yourself, get to know what works, right. In, and, uh, and find what works for you. And you have to do that through a discovery process. And it's helpful to gather all the information and your website is, I've just spent like the last week on your website. I mean, it is unbelievable where it's, grown, how much it's grown since, you know, since I was on it, um, years ago. And I actually read your first blog post this morning. That's on there. (laughs) So you got to go to the archives (laughs) and then you got to scroll all the way down and it's March 23rd, 2009. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be good. (laughs) So I got my coffee and I just dug in and read that. And 
you're t- that's totally what you're doing. You're just having an experiment and you're like, well, you know, I'm probably going to go back to drinking milk and I'm probably going to like do this. And, but maybe I can help people. And by the way, I need your help too. Cause I'd rather have this be a conversation than a monologue. And right. so seeing like <laughs> that blog post in t- 2009, and then, you know, again, you got to scroll like pages down to even get to that. And all the content that's not archived, that's, you know, recent and out there in this blog post at the end, you're talking about this kind of like help, right? Like, you know, and I need your help too. And, you know, I hope I can help people. And so I guess my question is like all of this writing and all this stuff that you've put out there over these years, more than a decade now, how has that stuff helped you? Man, that's, I mean, that's a huge question. Um, it, and, and like, I almost can't answer it because like that's the course that my life took. And so it's been 12 years of being in this. And like in that moment, when I published that first one, and I still remember, remember that, uh, you know, like that was a brand new path. Like, like even, I hadn't even really decided fully to be vegetarian until I was hit that publish. And it was like, if I actually do this, then I had, cause I, had, I was going to email to all my friends and everything. It was like, then I have to actually do this 10 day vegetarian challenge or whatever it was that I was doing at the time. Um, and it felt like a big commitment. So when I did it, it, it just like, I don't know. I guess what I can say is I know that I've grown so much over, over that 12 year period. Um, partly from, from the change in diet, of course, partly from the athletic accomplishments that I did along the way and wrote about, um, partly from running a business, partly from being someone who people look to as an expert, you know, like all those, it just, it, but I have nothing to compare it to, you know, so I don't know how, how it helped me. It's just, it's just the course that my life took. And I know this period has been one where I really, you know, just grew up. Like I, when I started that, I was, I was a kid and I am not anymore. Uh, I have kids now. I didn't when I published that. Um, and so like the priorities are just so different and you know, my place in this movement is somewhat different than it was then. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, but I think, I think what has been so helpful and it started with that first post was like the, the decision. And, and I make the decision every single time I do hit publish or send out an email or whatever, the decision that says, it's kind of scary to send this out to people and put this out in the world, but I'm going to do it because it's honest and it's truthful. And like, how bad could things really be if I'm just completely honest with everything? Right. And, and since I was at that point, not trying to pretend to be an expert at then or ever, um, you know, that enabled me to not like ever be afraid that like one day people might figure out that I don't have all the answers. And certainly I still had those feelings sometimes, but it would always be a relief to remember like, you know, yeah, I'm, I don't have all the answers and people know that. And I say that it's, I'm not trying to pretend to be, someone that I'm not on it. So, uh, that, that decision, you know, I think that that to me has proved like the right decision over and over just to like, you know, just, just be upfront. And, and it's funny, like it's, I'm kind of like an introverted person. I'm just sort of shy in, in, in real life. I don't tend to like try to be the center of attention or, or anything like that. Um, but I just find that people respond so well to just people being willing to be a hundred percent truthful and share their emotions and share things that you wouldn't share in real life. Uh, perhaps with people you don't know very well, like what I'm doing when I write blog posts. Uh, but but people react really well to that. Yeah, you know, very very little is like does that does someone take that and, and run with it and come back at you with it or something? It, it's always just people saying, "Wow, like I really appreciate that you shared on this." You know, so I don't know. It just I think I have a lot of faith in in <laughs> truth telling. Now, yeah, I think you know there's it's um it's a principle of yoga and obviously yogi triathlete where we're yogis, and it says like um, truth is fluid. Like you never have to hide from it. And Uh I would imagine that, well, well, two things. First is, I love what you said. Like every time you kind of hit the publish button, whatever that proverbial publish button is, like it's still kind of fearful, but does it get easier? Like to push that button, like the fear is still there. And I think that that's such a big piece. It's like, whether you're going to change your diet or you want to have this big transformation, it's kind of scary because you don't know, you know, who that person is yet. So, but that doesn't mean don't do it. That doesn't mean, you know, don't tie your shoes and go out for your first walk to the mailbox or whatever it may be that it gets a little bit easier, um, over time. And then the, the truth piece of it, does that help? I mean, like, I guess you could say like truth and vulnerability, right? Vulnerability kind of has this little bit more of this fragility to it, but really when we're truthful, we are vulnerable. Um, and how is that like, how has vulnerability like empowered you? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, to the first one, I think, 
I think it, it absolutely gets easier. It becomes a habit. And, and there are a lot of people's daily routines. Like, you know, people jump into a pool of ice water and like, <laughs> it, it never really gets easier because you're, you always have this thing. It's like, I don't want to do that right now, but I'm doing it. And, and often it's the same with exercise, like going out for a run. Like I've never been the type that really just loves the, the act of running. Like I like achieving goals with running and training for stuff, but like to, to have to do it, it, it gets easier because you get used to the habit and you come to trust yourself. It says, if I said, I'm going to do this, or if I know I'm going to do this at this time every day, then I'm going to do it. So like the argument with yourself and whether you're going to do it or not, that goes away and you get better at that. But the actual like pain of the act of doing whatever the, the thing is, um, I don't think that does get easier. Um, you know, it's just, it's just there and you get better at, at dealing with it and working with it and whatever else. Um, and I also think like if, if it becomes too, if it does become easy, then it gets to the point to me, like, well, why are you, like, shouldn't you find something else that is more challenging now, right? Like, like let's say you do the ice bath, jump in there or, or take cold showers, or whatever you do every day. Certainly there's like a physical longevity kind of piece to that, that people like, but I think a huge part of that is it's supposed to not be that fun. It's supposed to be training yourself that you're going to do this thing, no matter what, like your, your body, when, when your body says, or when your brain says we're doing this, we're doing it. Um, and so if it gets easier, then I think you start to lose the whole purpose of that kind of act. And so I think it's sort of the same. Uh, I've gone through periods where like, it's just not interesting to write anything on, on my blog for, you know, several months at a time. And that's when I'm in that phase where it's like, I'm not doing anything that is new. So if I were to publish something, it would just, it, you know, it would just be a, a rehash of the same protein article we wrote years ago. And like, that's, that's not scary. Um, and so that's why I think like, that's, that's not what you should be doing usually. Um, as far as vulnerability, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's really a synonym for the, for the truth telling in the way that I used it. Like you're right that in, in normal language they have different meanings, but uh, but yeah, that that's what I mean. I think, yeah, I mean, you can. I, I think that's another part of it actually that like I don't know if it's quite connected, but I sort of it's really tempting when you're sharing information in podcast form or in writing or whatever. It's really tempting to try to change your words and temper what you're saying so that no one can possibly take offense to it or can't possibly object to it. And, and even like, it used to be all about comments on the blogs. Like I would find myself like envisioning the comments ahead of time and answering the questions of these, you know, 1% of the audience who was going to object to something, but that completely dilutes your message and waters it down. So like, you know, you want to, you want to be someone who, I don't know. I always, I didn't want to be the person who said like, this is the only way it is. But at the same time, like that's how you make your work interesting is by actually taking a stance on something and not not catering to every single person. Um, and I think that that took a sort of certain courage to me. Like it was it was safe to say I'm going to address all the all the objections ahead of time. It was much scarier to, to not do that and say I'm just going to put this out there and you know if people don't like it then they don't like it. Um, and so that that's vulnerability for sure. And uh, and yeah, and that's like that was the difference between between writing boring stuff and writing writing good stuff. I found was was being when I was able to make that little shift that said I'm okay with trying to now sort of be a leader in this space with my ideas instead of just always trying to just like you know write what is safe. Mm. That's pretty powerful. And this the same thing can be said, you know, if we if we switch this over to um, performance, right? The same thing can be said for these big, big goals that we have Boston marathon or 50 mile or hundred or 200 mile now, like 200 mile <laughs> races, like where does it end? And so you, you have a, you have a passion for that. Don't you, you have a, I see, I see this as challenging or as, as a, as a potential to be impossible. And yet you crave that. Yeah. And that's, that is exactly what it was. I mean, as best as I can identify, cause I go through long periods where I don't run at all now. Uh, like, like I said, I am by no means a perfect runner. Um, and the reason I could do those things, cause that Boston thing took seven years from my first marathon to Boston. And every one of them in between was focused on, I'm going to qualify for Boston. I always thought I was going to do it in the next race, which was stupid, but uh, that's what kept me going. Um, and then the hundred mile race, like, but, but those two things to me, they both were literally seemed like impossible things when I first imagined if I, you know, myself doing them. And it seemed like, no, you can't do that. I remember the first time I heard about people running a hundred miler when I was a marathoner at that point. And I, I literally thought that it was like a typo or whatever I had heard someone had misspoken. Like I just didn't, cause I thought a marathon was it. And so I was like, I knew how I feel at the end of a marathon and to imagine that someone could go four times as far as that and, you know, be alive. still, it was just, I just couldn't believe it. And so I literally thought it was impossible. 
And so then when I learned that people actually did do that and a red born to run and whatever else, and you start to like put this little picture together of yourself doing this impossible thing, that, that to me is like what pulled me towards those things. Uh, and so I think when I've gone through and still currently haven't found like a big running goal since then, it's because I don't, I don't think anything's impossible anymore. Like I, I know, I, I know, you know, what I can do with running. Certainly I could come up with a goal that, that seemed impossible, but, uh, to sort of construct one probably wouldn't, wouldn't do the same thing. Um, so yeah, I kind of need that. I need, I need something that is like, I, I thought I couldn't do. And then once I imagine it, I just can't get the thought out of my head, uh, that maybe I could. Uh, and I think that's so powerful if you can find that thing. If I knew how to find them, though, I, I wouldn't uh, be, in, be in running slumps like I often go into. <laughs> when you, I, I want to I pinpoint this moment when you lined up those years to try and qualify that you had this belief that you would qualify at that race, an unwavering <laughs> belief, because I believe people line up at races and self-sabotage themselves even before they get to the race and say like, I probably won't call, I, you know, it's too big a step, a too big a leap to go. But, you know, we had another, a newly professional triathlete on the, on the podcast a few uh, weeks ago, and he lines up at the race, his first professional race, and he believes he's going to win. He doesn't, but he believes that he's going to win. And he's going to take that in with every race that he does. And it sounds similar to what you had when you lined up for these races, this belief, unwavering belief, even though you probably haven't seen the evidence yet right (laughs) but you believe it inside (laughs) yeah and and there's a balance because like i would have qualified for boston faster than i did i mean in fewer years if i had been willing to like be a little more realistic about it and say like my first marathon was 453 i'm probably not going to take 100 minutes off that the next time i run a marathon but i didn't know enough about it to just know that that was probably really wasn't possible uh and so I, and like, but at least you would think by the end of the training cycle, I would have realized, well, it's not going to happen this time because I didn't run any runs at that pace. So I, I think I probably should have, like, I could have gotten myself injured less and I could have had better, more positive race experiences had I had some amount of, you know, realisticness, realism, I guess. Um, but, but it, that's also the very thing that enabled me to do it is that like, I was writing in my journals all the time that I was going to do it. I was betting people money that one day I would do it. I was telling people to come to every race because I'm like, this is the time I'm going to do it. I would line that up months ahead of times, months ahead of time. Um, so I had this sort of just, you know, weird, unrealistic expectation that I was going to do it. And like, in hindsight, I could have done it sooner probably had I somehow measured that out a little bit better. But um, I don't know. I just, it's just, it's just what, what worked for me. So yeah, I think it's important. I, I do think like <laughs> you, you gain wisdom as you do more and more of these races. Mm-hmm. So I, although I always wanted to qualify and thought that I could, I definitely, I definitely had fewer disasters as it, as I got closer and closer. Um, and I would start to realize like, here's what I'm actually capable of today. You know, I'd realize that, realize that a little bit way, a little bit before I got into the race. Um, but yeah, interesting thing for sure. That, that sense of certainty, because that in like the big macro sense, that's crucial that you have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think on the micro level, I think you can, you can do it smarter than I did, um, by, <laughs> being a little bit more realistic about what you can do that, that day or that month or whatever. Yeah. But this is not how we like grow and move forward and push the bar out, you know, even higher is like, okay, well, what could I have done better? You know, what will sure. I do next time? And isn't that like kind of part of the addiction, right? That, yeah. Like- and, and I, one of the things that I had to get really good at was being so confident like that about my chances. Um, and then having a pretty big failure. Cause even when I, you know, took an hour off my first marathon time, I still failed by 40 minutes at qualifying for Boston that day. And so I would have to like somehow, and I don't know how, quite how I did it, but like in the, in the minutes or hours after the race, it would go from, I failed completely at what I said I wanted to do. Um, but now I'm a whole hour faster than I was before. But, and, and now I'm starting at a new spot that is, that is way better than I, I was starting at a year ago. And then that happened again and again and again through six races where it was like, I failed today. I ran a 320 instead of a 310. So I missed it by a lot. And this was my, you know, probably my fifth marathon out of six or seven. Um, I was like, wow, like I failed. And then it was like the next hour, it was like, wait a minute. Like now when I pick a new program and set my times, like I'm only 10 minutes away instead of 20 minutes away. And so somehow you could go, somehow I was able to do that bit of whatever it was. It's almost like lying to yourself. And I found that true with ultra running as well. Like it, to me, ultra running is really 
a huge like skill of learning, just being good at not quitting stuff, like being good at the right kind of self-talk so much more than it was a physical difference. Cause I don't know if I was in any better shape when I ran hundred miles than when I ran um, my Boston marathon. I, I mean, certainly was, was not as fast at, at a short distance. Um, I think really I was just better at not quitting. And I, I would like, somehow I could convince myself that if there wasn't, if I was into a 50 mile race and I was at mile 30, I could convince myself that if I could just get to the aid station at mile 35, then everything will be good after that. And then you realize it's not as soon as you start and you're at mile 36, you're like, wow, like it's not better. And then it's like, but if I just get to the one at 39, that'll be it. Like, that'll be like, that's when I'll do whatever, stop or feel better or whatever. And somehow it's just that process of like repeatedly lying to yourself and telling yourself, this is, this is it. And then it's like, no, just go a little bit further. Uh, I don't know. I just think there's something really neat there. I've, I've definitely not mastered like the ability to tell what that is or, or tap into it. But David Goggins has that quote that like the average person, when they think they're completely spent and done, they've used about 40% of what they actually are capable of on that day. Uh, and that is such a powerful number that we could be that far off. And who knows where he got that. But I think that's like that kind of, to me, embodies and encapsulates that whole mentality of like, you tell yourself you can only go this much further. And then at that point, somehow like, then you'll be done, but I'm just going to get that much further. And then once you're there, you say, okay, but I can go just that next little bit further than that. And then again, and again, and again, and, and you have to somehow be smart enough not to catch on to your own game and say, yeah, but this is stupid. Cause you're just going to say it again next time. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know. That's, that's one of the well, skills that I picked up for sure. Like, is it lying to yourself or is it just entertaining a different perspective? <laughs> right. Yeah. Ultimately that's what it is, right? Cause it's in your own best interest, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, well, and I love ultras cause ultras, I feel like help you not quit because sometimes when you're having like, you're, you could be eight miles from an aid station and you could be 15 miles from a road right? Like the only way out is going to be a helicopter. And you got to, you got to really reason to think like, am I willing to get a helicopter in here or can I keep going to that aid station? Um, that's what I, I really loved about, um, ultras when, when I moved over there, you know, a marathon, like you, some, you can grab a phone, like call an Uber, you know, get a taxi, hop out. If you're in Boston, hop on the T, like whatever you need to do, it's so much easier to quit. But when you're at an ultra, and I remember being at the Lake Sonoma 50 and being at this place where there's just nowhere, but trail, like you gotta get out. And there was like somebody lying on the side of the trail. And I'm just like, dude, you gotta get up. Like the sun's going down. Nobody's coming for you. Um, did you find that as, as well as you moved into trail running? I think that is really right. I've never noticed that before, but definitely like I've in 50 miles there, there was that debate of like, should I go back or should I keep going? And, and I think that's really, a, you're right. That's a really great thing about ultras. I mean, trail ultras anyway, is that like, yeah, like you might really believe that you are finished, like that you can't go anymore, but you have to, or, or else take some drastic measures. Like you said, like call a helicopter or something. Um, and that's a really nice way of learning that you, that you do have more than you think and that you can actually go longer than you. So then maybe next time you can, you can believe it just a little bit more and then, and then get in that situation again and then learn to believe it even more. So that, that's a really good observation. Yeah. So, uh, for people who, you know, might not know your backstory, um, I love, I have my own vision of this night that you and your buddies got together and decided, you know, by the, by the end of the quote, uh, quote from you, by the end of the night, we had all decided to do a marathon. Um, what year was that? And what was that first marathon? Um, that year must've been 2001 because the marathon was 2002 and although all of us got injured in that training cycle, we didn't like extend it or anything. Like it was, it was from the moment we set it out, we said we gave ourselves six months or whatever. And then we ran the San Diego rock and roll marathon in 20, 2002, June, 2002. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It's probably, we were, it must've been fall semester in college and we were all really big into the gym, going to the gym, putting on muscle, which like was the opposite of what you should be doing is to get ready for running. But we were like trying to run sometimes to burn fat. So we would do these two and three mile runs. Um, and it was literally like, it was like a physique fitness thing. And then we said, let's run a half marathon because like, you know, that would make us run a whole lot and then just be something cool to have done. But, but all, mainly like it'd be a fitness thing. It would make us run more and we'd, we'd be good. And then of course, somebody was like, well, why would we, why would we do that? Why don't we just do a full marathon? And then someone was like, yeah, Boston marathon would be awesome to do that. 
So it, no one knew you had to qualify for it. So we looked it up and tried to register and you couldn't, you had to qualify. So then we wrote down, I, who, I think it was that same night, probably that we registered for the race, the, the rock and roll one. We just Googled and found it uh, and then filled out the form and it said, what was your projected finish time? So we put down three ten zero zero, which was a seven minute, 15 second mile. And like, we didn't, we didn't run any of those, but literally like, I mean, we could, we could run those for, two miles. Like that's what we would do in these like little interval workouts or whatever. And we'd run these little two miles around the gym track and like, we'd probably be at around seven or seven thirty pace. And somehow it was like, well, if we can do one mile like that, then we could certainly train ourselves to just get better and better. And that was how we tried to do it. Like we didn't like for our first long run, six mile run, we did it at seven minute pace or, or whatever, as close as we could get to it. And then we got to nine at some point and we were doing that at that kind of pace. And we weren't eating food after it or around them because we had, we were doing this body for life program where it was all about like, you know, oh, you don't, yeah, yeah we, like we you'll had burn that more book. fat, yeah, which <laughs> I loved. I mean, I love that book. It was great. And it got me started with fitness. Uh, but, but that advice there was something like don't eat for three hours before your workout and one hour after. And like, I just never put it together that like, that wasn't the same as the advice that would be, this is how you best recover from a run or best handle a run. And similarly, like, why would you not do the run as fast as you could possibly do it? So like a huge part of my improvement in to getting to Boston was just learning that ba those basic principles that like, you shouldn't try to be trying to do like super heavy squats the day after your long run or the day before your long run. And you need to eat around your workouts and you can't possibly do wrong, long runs at, at anywhere near race pace. I don't know. It was just like a, like, like I said, I was not a runner at all and had to kind of learn like how, how you run and how you, the philosophy of training. Um, so yeah, I mean, what a cool journey that that <laughs> turned out to be to get to become a runner and then ultimately do this thing that we were so stupid to think that we could do. You know? I know, but I I love the like you're just naive. Like it just get, I hope it gives everyone totally. permission. Like you don't have to. We get so caught up in um, like knowing everything before we take that leap and taking the leap is not about, it's absolutely not about knowing everything. Like you didn't know that night when you were with your buddies that this was literally going to lead to a career <laughs> and a life. Right. Right. right? Totally. Like, and so we don't, we don't have to know. I mean, and, and Beej and I can relate to this too, you know, like with our own business and, and, um, and being plant-based athletes, like I turned, vegan when I was training for an Ironman and I was scared. I was like, Oh my God, I might not be getting what I need. And I wasn't, but right. I survived. Right. Um, you, that you don't have to know the whole, all the details and, and how it's all going to work out. And in my experience, and maybe you agree that when we just keep taking that next step, like really pay attention to our life and like, okay, what's the next logical step? Like what unfolds and how it ends up being like when it comes to manifestation for in my experience, the more I kind of just do what seems logical and then take my mm -hmm. hands off the wheel and stop gripping so tight, it always <laughs> unfolds so much better than I could have planned. Yeah, it is. It is. And that's one of those things, like, like I said earlier, I, I do a lot of writing of like goals and journals and things like that. And it's really neat to how often when you look back five or 10 years later, how many goals, like you literally forgot that you ever wrote down and then you've actually created that in your life in the time since you did write it down. And it's really, you know, I don't know what my beliefs are about like how that sort of stuff happens. Um, whether it's like a purely just scientific like thing, like you turn your body and or your mind into something that is looking for things that will help you and you just sort of get your subconscious working, or is there something more where the universe is there to help you? Who knows? Um, but, but without a doubt, like to me, that, that happens. And so the more you can do it, and I, I don't make enough time for that. I really should like, and I don't think anybody does. We get, we get caught up in, in the practicalities of life and things, but it's a really good point that like when you can kind of really let yourself be free and just think like, what would, what would really like fill me with energy and joy right now, if I were doing that or working towards that. Um, yeah. I mean like, and it's uh, like, again, like by definition of that sort of thing, that's not going to be something that you're going to have all the answers for, because if you had all the answers for that, it wouldn't be that exciting. And it wouldn't be this thing that is just like magnificent to imagine what would happen if you could do that. Um, so, yeah. So if you, if you try to plan everything to death and like, if you can't see the, every single possible step from here to that outcome, then uh, you know, it, like if you won't do anything where you can't see the steps, then you're not going to do anything really interesting. You know, you'll do, you'll do the things that, that are, are normal and are expected and 
I, I just don't think that's what most people really want, you know? So, so certainly you have to, you have to have that, that faith or whatever it is that would say, I'm, I'm okay with like, at least saying to myself, if not to everybody else, that I really do want this thing. And this is really important to me. And I'm going to find a way to do that. Mm-hmm. What is it right now? What is it that's, uh, what's bringing <laughs> you joy right now? What is lighting you up right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I, I have, I don't know. My, my life's in kind of a strange place now, not in any bad way, but um, my family recently moved. We moved to Charlotte, North Carolina from Asheville, uh, largely for my son's soccer. He's a really great soccer player and there was much better soccer opportunities here in, in North Carolina or in Charlotte. We were driving like two hours every day to his stuff and we finally said enough is enough. We're going to just move somewhere. Um, so we moved. So we're in this apartment. We're trying to, well, we've bought a house and we're trying to figure out um, how to get in there. It's a, it's a new construction. And so we're, we're waiting for that to happen. Um, and I don't know, I'm just, it's a weird sort of limbo where we're just like waiting for that to happen. But I have, have in the meantime, in the past, since I turned 40 this past year, have really rediscovered, um, fitness. Like I got, like everybody, I got out of shape, well, not everybody, a lot of people, I got out of shape during the pandemic. Um, just was, I got really into cooking and making fresh pasta and all that stuff all the time, sometimes twice a day. Uh, but like running and fitness were the part of this thing for my mind. And I got into kettlebell training somehow really close to my 40th birthday. I was really not happy with how, how, what shape I was in. I was like, oh, this is really like for, for being someone who does this for a living. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed at like how just how, what, what a small part of my life fitness is. It's not like I was unhealthy because I still ate plant-based and, you know, was mindful, but I was really like, I don't know, somehow when I turned 40, I was thinking when I turned 50, I'd like to not feel this way. I'd like to feel really, really good about how you know, my fitness level when I turned 50, like that would be cool. Um, somehow, somehow imagining myself in really good shape with 50, like it, it just sort of, um, you know, it, it just sort of like calmed the whatever. And I don't have much of this, but like the, the fear of getting older of like, wow, like I'm actually like, I'm, there's a birthday with a zero on it and I'm, I'm getting older. Um, but somehow if I imagined like that, my fitness could be really, really good. I knew it could be better than it was when I turned 40 somehow that would make it seem like, well, then I'm not actually that much older. I mean, I am, but if I'm in better shape now, then that's kind of reversing the, the process. So somehow that was exciting. And I got a kettlebell, which I never expected to be into kettlebell training, but um, I have, I've really loved doing that. It's been a really fun thing and has, it led to me eating better. And then it led to me, you know, looking how to figure out how to sleep better and then led to me starting running again and even signing up for some races. So like, I'm really back into fitness now. And it came in this weird way that I would have never expected because I wasn't interested in kettlebell training at all, but I found a book online that was exciting and I was like, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, so I'm really into that now. And I'd say the thing, like the big goal that I still haven't done and want is I really want my family to like live in another country for a while. I just think that would be the most exciting thing and the most fun way to raise my kids and not, not for a long period, but you know, a, a year or whatever, and just go do it. Um, and it's one of those things where like, there's really no good reason we should do that right now. Like my son has the soccer here mm-hmm. and the kids have different school situations. And like, all the, so like, it's one of those things where it feels like it's just impossible to actually work that out. And for some reason that makes me just really like want to know that we found a way to do it. So that's probably the closest thing I have right now to like a big, exciting, impossible goal. Um, that's and- like, you can use this time now to use your imagination and envision it and check out countries. Yeah. Like it's not the time, right? Like it's not the <laughs> right. time to do that. You, right? Your son's got to uh, play soccer yeah. Yeah, and you just exactly. relocated, but I don't know. I just feel like when there's things like that, that we really want, mm. that yeah. we're supposed to follow I, those. Uh, I, and I, I completely agree. Yeah. And I found that patience. Ugh, patience is really helpful because it's like, well, it might not be now. It might not be, you know, in in uh, it might not be in ten years, but it could be in two. Like you just don't know, right? We just don't know. Again, like take the hands off the wheel and just have fun with it. Keep yeah, that dream, and that's, keep that dream that, alive. That's definitely one of the lessons that I have learned about goal setting in general. Is like it's like most people set their goals way, way too small. I think oh God, um, totally. You know, that, yeah, I mean, no surprise there. So like. <laughs> I encourage everyone to like really set big goals that to me that, that you just think you cannot do right now. But, but if to me, if it's that exciting to you that you would even dare to put it down, then like you somehow you have the capacity to do it or else you wouldn't be writing it down. Um, but I think you have to allow yourself enough time to get to stuff. And that, this is where I've messed up a lot. Like I said, with the Boston marathon, like a lot of goals I've set and they're probably seven year goals, but I treat them like six month goals or one year goals. And then I end up giving up because it, I set this unrealistic, unreasonable timeline. Um, and so Boston, I didn't give up for some reason. And for some reason that that was 
just something that stuck and I couldn't. But a lot of these other goals that I can mention is the ones that I'll write down. And then I will forget about them because I'll kind of give up because I'll really go hard at it for six months thinking it's a one-year goal and then realize like, this is just, I'm just not getting anywhere and it's too hard. And then, like I said, you look back five years later and it turns out you, you did it. And, and often like you don't even realize, like, like with, um, well, the plant-based athlete was a New York Times bestseller. And that had been one of those things for me, like have a New York Times bestselling book. But I had definitely like, I don't know. I think I set that goal when I first had a book or before that. And once I realized like, it's really hard to get on that list, I kind of just forgot about it. And then it wasn't until this new book came along and the opportunity. And like, we started talking, we got a major publisher. And then suddenly it was like, we were a few months away. And I was like, holy cow, like I've been writing this down for years. I just haven't in a while. Uh, and so, I don't know. I think like a lot of times these things that we imagine we can do, uh, we can do them. It's just that, it's just that you have to have the patience to like, to, to let it, you know, let the stuff unfold. It has to unfold first. Yeah, absolutely. In the attachment to it, that it has to happen a specific way, right? Like, <laughs> right. Because yeah. it never, continue, yeah, it never happens. You can oh my God, come up it never happens. Goals like, and just detach, like <laughs> work form, but just detach. And the same, you know, looping this into diet, like have the goal of moving yourself to a, a plant-based diet. And I think yours is four year, a four year, you know, period yeah, of time that took you. Right. Like if you're, if you're, gripping so tight that it has to happen in a week and you got to be perfect at it. And this is the first day of being vegan. Like you're really setting yourself up with the most of us. I think that can happen to some people, but I think most of us are setting ourselves up for, you know, a struggle and um, anxiousness because we didn't meet that goal um, versus giving ourselves a time, giving ourselves some time, like enjoy the process. Like you'll get to the end. You'll get to where you want to go. Just, just don't, just don't attach to it so much that it causes you like <laughs> angst and, and, um, frustration when you don't meet it. Yeah, I, I know. It, it's so, it's, and I'm like, <laughs> it's so hard to, to not. Um, and so a good example of this is like a couple of years ago, I think probably when I turned 38, I set the goal that I was going to be in the very best shape of my life in the next year. And I figured out that, 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 for me, best shape meant like get back into Boston marathon shape or at least marathon running shape and also have the strength component and be like, so have, have these things that I've never really had at the same time. And what's funny is that I never even got started. Like I never even began doing that between ages 38 and 39. But as soon as I turned 40 and said, I have a decade long goal to do this, then I could actually, action would begin to flow because now there was no pressure of like, I have to do this and this and this and get all these things going. It didn't feel like some overwhelming task, even though it was a longer term. It just felt like I've, you know, I've got time. It's okay if I get slightly injured and I need to take a week off. I don't need to push through that because I'm on some really tight time crunch and then, you know, you end up getting worse. So it, yeah, I mean, having more time to do stuff, giving yourself more time is really, really important. And I think you're right. Absolutely. It comes when it comes to plant-based diet. That's one of the so frequent mistakes that people try to do it too quickly. And I hate to tell them not to, because people will get all enthusiastic and they just want to do it. Um, And so I'm always like, give it a try. But like, if it doesn't work out, don't think going plant-based is too hard. Just say, I'm going to try it a different way now. And that instead of now going overnight, I'll do it over the course of a, you know, a month or a year or whatever. And I'll try a gradual transition to that. Um, but you know, I don't like to discourage people from, from going for it, but yeah, just, just let them know, like, if it doesn't work out there, there are other ways. It's not just that a plant-based diet isn't for you. And uh, in that blog post in the archives that I pulled up this morning, you talk like the, in the first sentence, you say like, I failed at, you know, um, oh, that's right. eating a vegetarian diet. Like I, I failed that. I think, I think it was like the year before that you did that. Um, what was the catalyst that put you over into this, this vegan lifestyle? Uh, so you mean like when it lasted, why did it last? Going yeah. Vegetarian, or yeah. What I mean, I know it was gradual, but like when did the, it seems like dairy was something you were, you were still indulging in, like, what were those kind of turning points? If there was right. more than one. Um, in the beginning, it was strictly an ethical thing for me. I didn't think that being vegetarian and like, I, I didn't, vegan was not on my radar. It was just vegetarian was like, I thought if you don't eat animals, you're vegetarian. And then you're, you know, for me doing the right thing, doing what feels good for me. And I mean, ethically feels good. So I just like, I just felt wrong about eating animals. And I just felt like, I don't know, like when I, when I wasn't in a hungry state and wasn't eating and I thought about it, I was like, why, why would I eat animals when I love this dog that I have? And like, I had, I just, you know, I, I really thought that animals had a lot of feelings and consciousness and sense of being an eye inside of their head, like a, they were a being. And I just couldn't really feel good about eating them. So somehow it was embarrassing for me to like 
talk to people about that and and connect with like even my wife or my family about that. It just, it's, I don't know. Somehow I just, I just, it felt like kind of a soft thing to talk about. So I didn't really like to talk about it with people and I just tried it and it didn't last at all. But then once, once I actually went to a Tony Robbins event in 2009 um, and at the end of it, he was promoting this diet that was, you know, I think it was mostly vegetarian, but had some fish in it. And he, his whole thing was about energy. Like he, he mixed in a little bit of the ethical argument, but it was like, this can actually make you feel way better and give you more energy to do all these other things that you've decided at this event that you're going to want to do. Um, and so I still didn't quite believe it was going to help me run faster. I just didn't, I didn't know about that. But I, like when, when I got over the hurdle that like, this is going to be a big, big obstacle in the Boston marathon journey. Uh, then, then I was able to start talking to people about it, like as an energy thing. And, and I could, I could more easily like, you know, justify, rationalize, have discussions with people about why I was doing it about with my wife, about why we should both do it. Um, so I don't know. I think once I sort of linked the the health or the energy benefits to it, even though it wasn't yet athletic performance benefits, that, that enabled me to give it a try and say like, this is worth trying. And it's not necessarily going to ruin this Boston marathon quest of mine. I didn't know if it would, and I really didn't think it would help. Um, but at least I thought it wasn't going to be the reason why I didn't get to Boston. So once, once I was over that, then I was able to, to try it. And like I said, once I hit the publish button on that first post, it felt like things just, things just went from there. I don't know. It just, it just like people responded to it. And within a couple of weeks, I, I, I think I was injured at the time and I went for like a good first good run after several weeks of rehab. And I just did great and felt awesome. And I was like, wow, like this actually might be working. And then it was just, it was only six months after that, that I, that I qualified for Boston. So it all went, went pretty fast. And like, once, once that happened, then I was like, wow, like this is, I, I've been missing this my whole life. It's just, this is the diet for me. So that, then it was really easy to, to, and I was meeting people and interviewing Brendan Braziers and people who, you know, were, were also doing this stuff. Um, so then it was really easy to continue further down the path and go vegan and realize like this was uh, an amazing diet. <laughs> and your wife is on board too. Yep. She's every time I've, I've said, let's do this. She's been right there saying like, yeah, let's do it. Like I'm excited to try that too. So that's I'm awesome. really grateful for that. And, and, and both what, of our kids, but both of your kids, that's what I was going to ask. Yep. They're both vegan. Um, they, they really have no, no desire not to be vegan every now, like they're getting the age where they're running into little things, you know, they'll get, they'll get teased at school or whatever. Um, they're 11 and eight now's their ages. And, or they'll like recognize that at birthday parties, like, you know, there's, we, we try as much as we can to prepare ahead of time and have something for them and, or, or at least make them understand like that there's going to be cake there and we forgot to get something. So they're not going to have something, but we'll get it later. But like, you know, there, there are certainly moments where they recognize that it's like a little bit difficult sometimes, uh, but they really don't have any desire ever to, to waver from it. They, they, you know, they're, they're just, it's just kind of what they, it's kind of like a fish, like being raised in water, growing up in water. They don't really realize that in it, it's just, it's just, it's just what they do. So for my kids to imagine eating animals, it's just, it's just a weird thing. Like, you know how, like when kids talk about how, like some, some kids don't realize that when they get chicken at a fast food place, they're getting a chicken. It was, it was a chicken at one time. They think it's like actually a different thing. The chicken that they're eating is not the same as the chickens that they know as animals. Um, And so I think my kids, I don't know, like, it's just, the opposite side of that is if you grow up not eating animals, it's just such a weird thing to imagine that like, People just eat animals every single day for every meal. Um, and so it's it, it's a weird, you know, not, not that it's weird for them. It'd be weird for them to imagine themselves eating meat. At the same time, and a lot of people don't like this, but I, like I said, like to just be truthful, I always encourage them, like, if you want to try non-vegan food, you should. And and like, I will, I'll go buy you a burger if you want to have a real burger one day. Um, we're not going to cook you food in our house that's not vegan. So I just, I'm not going to be a part of that like that. But like, I'm all for you, like, you know, I don't want to make this decision for you. And I want you to understand, like, if you want to explore the options before you make a decision, what you're going to do, then you should do that. Because I think that's the way that if I, and of course I hope they stay plant-based for their whole life. I'd love for them to do that. But I don't think the way to do that would be to tell them there's, there's no other option for you. You know, I don't don't think that's how you make someone do something. Um, No. And it's not, it's, it's the same thing. Like it's kind of along the same lines as like, somebody's got to be ready and willing, you know, to make a change, whether they're changing their diet or changing their level of fitness or whatever it may be. Same thing, right? Like 
if you're clinging on to this rigidity of how your kids, as they're getting older and their free will's getting stronger, right? And they're expanding as beings because you want them to expand and have life right. experience. Like if you're like <laughs> clinging on to this, you guys are going to be miserable. It's not going to work. They're going to find their way. So there's a lot of trust in that, right? Like they're going to find their way. And yeah, maybe they are. I mean, we all did it, right? Like I would went to a party and I was like, oh my God, there's a cheese tray. You know, I'm six months <laughs> vegan, but I'm going to give it a shot. And it was like, it was disgusting. I had, I had already lost my taste for it, uh-huh. but I'm okay. Like, I'm still here, right? <laughs> like I'm still here. And I didn't, right. you know, BJ didn't divorce me because I did that. <laughs> went against our pack. Um, so, okay. So as we're getting to the end of our time, I think we need to talk about the book and there's so many podcasts out there. My God, you guys have been talking up a yeah, storm <laughs> so many, but we got to give it some play here. Um, I really love the topics that we've, we've um, dove in with you, but the plant-based athlete, Super cool book because it's not just recipes, but you guys are, I love learning from story. And I think a lot of people like to learn from story. I think, you know, that's kind of another branch of truthfulness is people sharing Mm. their experiences and you have a ton of those in the book. And, um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about it or, or how you're sitting now that it's out there in the world and it's a New York times bestseller. Like, how does that feel? (laughs) yeah, I mean, it feels amazing. It's like, it definitely feels, I mean, the other books have been successful for sure. Um, and I've, I've been very happy, you know, to, to see the the change that they helped make. Uh, this one feels different, like ju- not just because of the New York times thing, but maybe because of the amount of media we did or whatever, but it just seems like it's one of those books that like, like, it's like when I walked into Barnes and Noble, like for my previous books, like sometimes I couldn't find them or they just didn't have it at all or whatever. But this one was like in the front, like in the new releases area, and it just felt like this was like, wow, this was like, this is what I always meant to me, like to write a book, like to like be an author, be in more, like, it just, I don't know. This one just felt like it's making a much, much larger impact. Um, and that is, who knows why? I think largely it's because we mentioned patients, right? Where like 10 years ago, that, that couldn't have happened. Like it, it didn't, right? Brendan Brazier was putting out really great books, but but they weren't they weren't reaching this kind of level because we weren't ready for it yet. Um, they reach a lot of people and helped a ton of people like me, but like, it just, it just, the world wasn't where it is now, but now here we are. It, it's, it's a thing that, that, you know, the mainstream culture can, can recognize as like a real thing that's happening. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just really cool to have been part of this for that long and and then get to see the success of a book like this and, and to get to work with, you know, all those different athletes and have, have our book, like be the thing that presents all those stories um, of people doing far, far more amazing things than I've ever done athletically. Uh, people who are like the best in the world at what they do, Olympic medalists, pro athletes, NFL players, NBA players, like, I mean, top, top level athletes. Uh, and even like strong men, strong women, like these, these sports that like in the, in the Brendan Brazier, Scott Jurek, Rich Roll era, when I was getting going, it was all about endurance sports. But in the past five years, like there's been an explosion of people doing powerlifting and strongman kind of stuff on a plant-based diet, which is so neat. Cause that, that was like for a while, it was like, yeah, it'll work for endurance sports, but that's, those are sports where you want to be lighter and, and smaller and like higher carb and all that. So like, it's really neat to see that it is working for all sports, not just those, you know, including the strength and speed and quickness and power sports. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. I mean, right. My co-author, Robert Cheek, it was his idea that we would do this. He, especially he, but both of us over, over years and years of doing this have, have made a whole lot of friends in the space. Uh, and it was really cool to, to have them all be a part of this, um, or to make introductions to us, to people who we didn't know yet. And, uh, yeah, it was just, I don't know, like I, when I read that book and I have read it a few times, just in whatever, preparing for interviews or editing or whatever, um, it's really hard not to be inspired. And like you, to me, when I, when I read those stories, even having done this for so long as I have, I still come out of it, like a little bit more confident than I was before that this actually works. Because there's still that tiny little thing in the back of your mind that says like, yeah, but accurate to a rounding error. Like you can almost say that no one else, around, none of my neighbors are doing plant-based diets and sports. Like very few people are doing this, relatively speaking. Um, so it's easy. It's really easy to start to believe, even if you don't consciously believe it, but start to believe like, yeah, you you really do need a lot of protein or a lot of meat or you you know should be doing a lot more of these supplements. I don't know. It's just, it's easy to like have a tiny part in the back of your mind that says, maybe they're right. Like maybe cause, cause there aren't a lot of people doing this yet. And so I don't know when I read those stories, like some of them, you just, 
I don't know. They, they just, they just speak to you and they you say, you come out of it and saying, wow, like, like this really, if it works for that person, the strongest man in California and he's winning deadlifting competitions and he swears by a vegan diet, like, you know, why can't it work for my, for my ultra running or whatever? Uh, I don't know. It just, and like, so like to me, as much as I'm all about science and evidence-based and we try to incorporate a lot of that into the book, um, it's really those stories and they're anecdotal and they're N equals one and it's not proof, but that's, to me, that's, that's really how you can get someone to emotionally like buy into this. And uh, that's why I was, I was really happy that we were able to incorporate so much of that. And then we were in like the recipes and the day in the life sections. Um, they're all by the athletes. And like, I think to me, when, when Scott Jurek put out his book in 2012, I think, and he had his recipes in there, like there was maybe one at the end of every chapter. It was like gold to me that like we now had Scott Jurek's recipes. Um, and so to be able to put all these top athletes, like have them all contribute recipes so that the 60 recipes in the books are mostly theirs and exactly what they eat from morning to night for 25 of them, I think. Um, I don't know. It's just really cool. I just think it's a really cool resource that, that we put together. So I'm really proud of it. And, uh, yeah, I hope, I hope people who, who know of it like it and I hope others will, will check it out. Would you say, would you say in the most, in the most scenarios that you had in the engagement with these athletes, like their recipes and daily routines were, were more simple than complicated? Yeah, I would say that is right. Um, I think for me and a lot of the athletes, you realize like, and we, this is like a good way to wrap this up because we talked at the very beginning about how like we learn a lot as we've been at this a longer time. And when you're, when you're new at it, like a lot of the, the meals are, are really similar to meals we ate before we were plant-based, but now they're like plant-based versions mm-hmm. of them. And like, that's fine. And it's an easy way to get started. But now there's a lot of days where I'll just like, if, if dinner is not happening for whatever reason, cause we're all at different soccer practices or whatever, you know, I might drink a smoothie for dinner or literally have three bananas and a, and a scoop of almond butter. And like, you know, that would be my dinner, which is not, not the every night thing. And you wouldn't want to eat that same meal or any same meal every night for dinner. Um, but I've kind of really like in doing this for so long, I realized that like that idea of a square meal that has the starch and the fat and the protein in the middle of the plate, like that doesn't really matter. Like if you just eat calories and those calories are from good whole foods and they're, I mean, for anyone, it doesn't matter, but, but you know, if there's not a pattern of them being really heavily skewed towards one macronutrient or another, um, you're probably going to end up eating better that way than if you took the time to actually make meals. Because when you make meals, you start adding all the salt and oil and all these other things that, that I love, but you end up making it all about like the entertainment value of the food. Whereas if you're just eating because it's convenient, I don't know. So I think there, there was certainly a pattern of that. The athletes assembling their meals rather than like cooking their meals. Um, certainly there are exceptions. There are some people who are just food types and they just like to cook. But I think, I think there's a lot of putting together of meals that people do. And, you know, of, of assembling an oatmeal or a burrito kind of wrap or whatever, um, a lot of that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of that. And I would say the other thing is that there really was a whole lot of variation. Like I just kind of had the sense that there was sort of one way to eat a plant-based diet, like, and that it's, it's evolved, but like, we kind of now know the best way to eat a plant-based diet. And that, that just shows my own nearsightedness. That I was you know, assuming that what's close to what I know is now the way that we all eat. And everyone does totally different stuff. Like some people eat the Beyond Meat all the time and Ben and Jerry's and some don't ever have any of that. Some of the athletes like really closely monitor their nutrition and others don't, they just eat, they just eat when they're hungry and they eat, you know, more the way I do now, like just sort of pick whole foods and, and know that they'll be all right if they do that. Uh, some take supplements, some don't, some use protein powder, some don't, you know, it was just interesting to see that all these world-class athletes can approach what people think of as this niche, like restrictive diet. They can have such widely varying approaches to it. And to me, that just speaks to the versatility of it and like how, how great a diet it is that, like I said, if you're, if you're basing it mostly on whole foods, it's kind of hard to screw up how you're doing it. Like, you know, certain sports, maybe bodybuilding, like maybe there's a need to be very attentive to certain things because there are, there's a science to building muscle and losing fat. And it does come down to ratios of nutrients and things like that. But that aside, I feel like, I don't know, it's kind of like, if you just eat whole plants, you're, you're going to be all right. Uh, that's another lesson that I got out of this. Yeah. I I love that in this book, it's like, it's just this platform for people to go in there and, and see all of these different ways that people are eating and try it out and be an experiment of Mm -hmm. one and find out what works for them, like for their unique 
body and beingness in life and stress level and digestion and all of that stuff. So I love that this is out in the world. Um, I loved our conversation today, Matt. And um, where where's the best place? Like, where are you active? Are you active on social? Like, where's the best pe- place for people to get more of you? Well, uh, I'd say our, our most active Nomad Athlete channel is Nomad Athlete underscore official on Instagram. Um, I have a personal account on there. It's real Matt Frazier on Instagram. I don't really use it that much, but I got in there a couple months ago and, uh, it's kind of fun. So that's a good place to come, come say hi to me if you want to do that. And to get uh, the yeah. truth. <laughs> that's right. Go there and get the truth. <laughs> that's what I'll give you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, really enjoyed our time together. I know you're super busy and, uh, thanks for all the good stuff you're putting out in the world. And if you guys haven't been to know me athlete website, you got to get over there. If you want to check out some of these day in the lives, they're up there on the website. Um, Sonia Looney, yep. who we've had on the podcast, Rip Esselstyn, who we've had on the podcast, a lot of familiar names there. Um, so check those out and you can get some ideas for your meals, but thank you cool. again, Matt. Well, thank you. I appreciate the time uh, and the chance to be on here. And I really think the, the work you guys are doing is amazing. So please, uh, please keep doing what you're doing and, and putting more of this out into the world. Yeah. And we just won't. Yeah, we will. Cause we have no other choice. We had to do it. We just, we all just need to lighten up the grip, right? (laughs) Just let it unfold. Awesome. Love it.